0: But more importantly, grab your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, You can use the index page. There's no shame in that game. And find the book of Ecclesiastes and give your attention to the reading of God's Word.
1: All right, west side. Ecclesiastes will be in chapter 5, verse 8, through all of chapter 6, 12 verses. If you're using that Pewback Bible, it's in page 618 in there. And if you don't want to use the page number, like Jason said, don't be afraid to use that index. When you get there... Look up and say, Jesus paid it all. All right. Follow along, have your eyes on Scripture, and upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, because we are thankful to God for His word. You can respond with, thanks be to God. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in the darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, And it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? This is the word of the Lord.
0: Well again we're glad you're here and just to clarify and to ease your mind that is Robin Williams narrating the video and so everybody's always like who's that voice? Who is it? I knew it. Hey we're journeying through Ecclesiastes and um, we're sort of going to be picking up the pace now. Solomon in the first couple chapters is uh, stated; he's the wisest man who's ever lived, the wealthiest man who's ever lived. And what he's doing is he's sort of like a college philosophy professor. And what he's saying is: Is the God factor in life really that important? Do I have to ascribe um, all purpose and meaning to God in life? And many scholars believe that this is sort of uh, Ecclesiastes is sort of like Solomon's confession that he's writing at the end of his life and he's looking back on his life and the years that he wandered away and he's saying, yes, that life is, is vanity. It's almost like trying to catch smoke. It's, it's impossible. And the only way to have substance and meaning in your life is if you understand that all meaning comes from God. And, and today he sort of narrows in a little bit. The first couple verses we already covered in uh, uh, chapters, or I'm sorry, in verses 8, 9, and 10 about oppression and injustice and things like that. And then he switches tone. And, and maybe as an introduction, this will be helpful. Um, right after I had graduated high school and the summer in between before I went to college, um, I, I worked for my older brother. And, and my brother's significantly older than me, and he was in the construction business, owned his own company. And so I went to sort of work for him and the framing crew and the people that worked for him as well. And I lived with him that summer. And I'll never forget, as I was getting my paychecks and squandering them like a young youth does, um, he said, hey, I want you to come up to my office on Monday, and I want you to go buy a calendar, and then come up to my office. And I was like, okay. So bought the calendar um, and was shocked as to how expensive calendars are, Right. <laughs> real life stuff here, okay? And so I went to his office and sat down, and he goes, okay, how many um, hours a week do you work? Um, what do you get paid an hour? Okay, what bills do you have going out? And at the beginning of summer, um, I I had borrowed a little bit of an advancement on my paycheck, okay? And so it was my brother, and I was like, hey, I need a little bit of an advance and all of this. And And basically, as we started to look at the month and then the money that was coming in and the money that was going out, and then on top of that, the money that I owed him, as we got to the last day of the month, I'll never forget, my brother turned and looked at me and he said, Craig, he always called me Craig from a funny movie, he said, "Uh, Craig, uh, you ain't got no money, man. And I was like, I don't have any money. And he said, and it's really important because you still owe me money as well. And what my brother was doing was, is is he was sort of teaching me a real life example. He was saying, hey, if you're going to grow up and if you're going to live in this world, you've got to understand a few things. And one of those things is, is how to handle your money. And today, Solomon, if you will, is sort of like that. He's like an older brother or an older, wiser person, and he is sitting us down today, and he's saying, hey, one of the things that you have to understand about life is this issue of, of money, now I know that when we start talking about money and it involves church and this that and the other, um, some of you are like, "We chose to come today. Oh, great! Right? Well, here's a here. I, I need to do a couple things. The first thing is this: we have to understand that that Solomon, he's qualified to talk about money. Okay. So um, I did a little bit of research this week, and and if you want to study his backstory. 1 Kings chapter 10 is is a good snapshot of Solomon's life. Solomon was extremely wealthy. And um, one biblical scholar encountered for inflation and sort of everything like that and took Solomon's network that he had in 1 Kings 10, which was gold and silver and all of this stuff, and equated it to today's economy. And Solomon's net worth would be close to a trillion dollars, with a T, okay? Um, yeah, that would help out the national deficit, I would think, a little bit, right? And so here's what we have to understand. Solomon's qualified to talk about this. So, so we have a good, reliable source. The second thing is this. The Bible talks a lot about money, and so does Jesus, okay? Okay? And so, actually, if, if I were to um, mimic Jesus' preaching schedule that he had in the Gospels, Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. And if I was to preach like Jesus preached, I would preach one sermon a month on money. All right? So, what we're going to do for the next, right, okay. I mean, mean, that's pretty intense, and so we need to know these things. But, But lastly, this, right? We always say that there's a ditch on either side of the road. Money is not bad. The love of money is what's bad, okay? And so the Apostle Paul actually tells a young pastor, Timothy, this in the New Testament. But godliness with contentment is great gain. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Isn't that interesting? Number one, this is written to a pastor and to a church, and it's talking about money. And Paul says, be careful. We need to understand this issue. But secondly, he says, the love of money. The love of money. So here's what you and I think. Oh, yeah. Well, the rich and people who, who have a ton of money and love money and are always pursuing money and doing this, that, and the other, those are the people that have the problem. But in reality, you can be dead broke and still love money, right? Right? So it's the idea of the obsession of it. You can either, I mean, you know, you can either be sitting on a gold throne going, I need more, I need more, or you can be living in a cardboard box and every second of every day the conversation turns to money. It's the same. It's just the difference in the amount. But then Jesus in the New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount says something very interesting. He says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. You know what's funny is when it comes to this issue of money and you involve church and things like that, people always kind of do the, well, that's between me and the Lord, brother. Oh, really? Well, because Jesus talked a lot about it. And and Jesus actually said, um, uh, "What's the famous movie?" And there's the one line with Tom Cruise where he says, "The uh, show me the money," right? That's what Jesus is saying. And and here's the thrust of Ecclesiastes today: is this money is a way to measure where I find pleasure? Hopefully that'll stick for you today. Money is a way for me to measure. Where I find my ultimate pleasure, satisfaction, and purpose in life. Jesus says, um, do you want to know about your relationship with God? Do you want to measure that? Do you want to uh, gauge your heart and your satisfaction in God? Then show me your checkbook. Let's measure this out. Because what we spend money on and how we view money is a way for us to measure that. And Solomon's saying the same thing. Solomon's saying, hey... I've made a lot of money in my day. And there's some things that you need to know about this. Um, I had great help this week in my study, and I would recommend this source to you. Dr. David Jeremiah wrote a book called Searching for Heaven on Earth. And the way that he outlines the text is immensely practical and helpful. And so I'm citing him today and using him. And I would highly recommend for you to purchase this book to sort of dive more deeply into Ecclesiastes. But I also think it's important for you to know I don't have this all figured out. I'm, I'm learning about stuff as well. I don't have like this. I don't really sometimes care about money. I care about what money can get me sometimes. And so I'm the guy that like goes to the gas station, and I love the truck stop gas stations that are like a mini mall, you know, like the Flying J. And so I'm the guy that goes in there and buys a three dollar bottle of water, maybe a cowboy hat, sunglasses, and a sweatshirt. I don't know, right? I mean, maybe we got a party or something. I don't know, right? And then I buy a DVD or something, right? And so like I'm learning about this as well, and so he. Helped me, and hopefully, he will help you as well today. And the first thing that Solomon tells us in these verses is this there's some things we need to know about money. Okay, here's what we need to know about money the first thing is this the more we have, the more we actually want. Look at verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth. With his income. This also is vanity. You know what Solomon's saying? He who loves money and is pursuing this high income is actually not going to be satisfied with the high income and with the money. It's almost like this black hole that the more we get, the more we desire, and the more that we want. And to break it down on a practical level, here's what Solomon's saying. There's no perfect amount for you. There's not. And I know what some of you are saying. Um, I think it's probably the amount of my student loans. (laughs) That seems like a pretty good amount for me, right? Uh, The truck payment or the mortgage would be a good starting point. And here's what Solomon's saying. Listen, that is a mirage. That as soon as you pay that off and as soon as you get that amount, your eyes will begin to wonder and your heart will begin to wonder. The more you have, the more you want. The second thing is this. The more we have, the more we spend, Look at verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? The more you get, the more you tend to spend. And it's funny. He says the more money you get, all of a sudden there's more mouths to feed, right? I call this like your second cousins, right? Come into a little bit of money and all of a sudden, Uncle Joe shows up on the front porch. Well, buddy, I haven't seen you in a real long time doing good. Well, I didn't realize the business, that's a nice truck you got there. I didn't realize the business was taking off and oh, by the way, we're needing a little, right? And so Solomon's saying, actually, the more money that you get, you're going to end up spending that money. And I did a little bit of research this week, and here's what's interesting. Did you know that 70% of people who win the lottery go broke within three to five years? Broke. Three to five years. I mean, just, just look at these stories of after when people win the lottery. It's insane. But here's what you and I are doing. You know that. You see that. But you think you're the exception. And you think, oh, no, I need this amount. And oh, no, I would not squander that. And what Solomon is doing is he's sitting us down going, no, no, no. These are truths that you cannot avoid. You are not the exception. I was not the exception to this, Solomon is saying. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you spend. And then the third thing is this. The more we have, the more we worry. Look at verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Interesting. Solomon says there's a laborer who works for pennies on the dollar, sometimes doesn't even eat that much, and sleeps like a baby. And then there is a rich king, if you will, who has a full belly and tosses and turns every night. The more you have the more you worry. So the business increases or you get more responsibilities at your job and now you finally are able to do this, that, and this and go on the vacation and do this. But at night you're thinking about, i got to bid that job. Now this is coming up. Now i got to do this and now we got to get these things in order and now I have to do this. And what tends to happen is now that becomes the focal point. And I wonder, is Solomon writing almost about like the good old days? Have you ever had those conversations? If you've been married for a while or have kids, like Courtney and I, um, we ate dinner on a vacuum cleaner box for the first couple of weeks when we moved into our first house after we got married, right? We didn't have a dining room table. We just ate on the little vacuum cleaner box right there. And you look back on that and you go, man, things seem to be so like carefree and so simple and this, that, and the other. And Solomon says, yes, they were, because there's something about the burden of money that happens, Also, did you know that one of the number one things mentioned in most divorce cases is finances? Finances cause a strain when it comes to the relationship. I also read in psychology today that your financial health is almost a direct correlation to your mental health as well. That worry, anxiety, fear, lack of sleep, all of those things happen when money is placed at the focal point. And I know what some of you are saying, Jason, I grew up and I didn't have money. I don't have money now, this, that, or the other. But actually, did you know, according to world economics, everybody in this room is considered the wealthiest generation that has ever lived in the history of mankind worldwide, bar none. So yes, we do have this, and Solomon is teaching us that, hey, where are you finding your pleasure and your satisfaction in life? Look at your money, and you can measure it that way. The more that we have, the more we tend to worry, but then this, the more we have, also the more we lose Look at verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Grievous evil. If you have your scripture journal or your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase, grievous evil. That's important. Anytime that there's a description or an adjective or something in the Bible, and then it's going to give you the main thought, we need to know what he's saying. And he's saying, there's a grievous evil. Well, what is it? That riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. Interesting. Solomon says there's two ways you can actually lose your money. And there's two ways that as you're getting it, you can lose it. The first one is this, greed. Greed. He says that this is a grievous evil, that riches were kept, hoarded away by their owner. And later on in Proverbs, what Solomon wrote as well is this, One who gives freely yet grows all the richer, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Interesting. The one who hoards all of the money actually hurts themselves. But the one who is giving freely, it's this idea of generosity and carefreeness. Remember, money is a way to measure where I find pleasure. And so if you're stingy with your money, your pleasure is you. Because that's my money, homie. Right? I worked for it. And as Biggie Smalls, the famous philosopher, said, Mo' money, mo' problems. Right? And so as I am keeping this, I'm actually hurting myself. It's almost like that TV show, um, Hoarding. Have you ever seen that? Buried Like Hoarding, Buried Alive? I'm obsessed, right? If if I see it come on, I'm like, I can't watch this. Uh, Right? And they're storing all this stuff inside their house. And the very things that they're storing. Don't nudge your spouse right now, okay, about hoarding, okay? The very stuff that they're hoarding and keeping is the very things that are almost killing them. And Solomon says that's a way to actually lose your money is to hoard it. But the second way is, is a bad investment. He says that, that this guy lost it on a bad venture, a bad business venture. You know what's interesting for us? If money is a way for us to measure where we find pleasure, everybody always wants to make the quick dollar, right? So it's always you know, this, and then you'll move up in this, and then you'll get this, and then get this bonus, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to start this, and I'm going to hustle this, and then I'll sell this. Solomon says later on in Proverbs, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase. You know, it's, it's interesting. Solomon's almost saying there are these rules and parameters in life that no matter how you try to get outside of them, a majority of the time they are not going to work. And every time I see someone trying to make the quick dollar and do this, that, or the other, or hoard their money, or do all of this, it always goes bad. The more you have, the more you lose. But the last thing is this. The more you have, the more you leave behind. You know, it's funny. I've seen the phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not the original phrase. Do you know what the original phrase is? He who dies with the most toys still dies. That's the original phrase. And look at what Solomon says. Just, this also is grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Solomon is saying, like, I always say this all the time, and then somebody actually sent me a picture. I used to work part-time at a funeral home as a chaplain, and we have never attached a U-Haul to the back of the hearse. And then somebody sent me a picture that was on Facebook of a hearse that had a U-Haul attached behind it. They were like, you can never use this sermon illustration again, right? But the point still holds true. Do you know the name John D. Rockefeller? Probably the wealthiest man that has ever lived, that we would ever know of. At one point, John D. Rockefeller's network was 2% of the entire United States of America's gross income. One person. Hundreds of billions of dollars. When he passed away, a news reporter asked his lawyer how much did he leave behind, and the lawyer, quick on his feet, said all of it. All of it. And what Solomon... The tagline for the series is learning to live life in reverse. And what Solomon is saying is, I can show where you find pleasure by measuring how you spend money. And if it's this hoarding and I've got to get more in this concept and this, that, and the other, you're not thinking about the end game. Because just as you came into this world, you will leave. And so think about the end And live in light of that because you're not taking any of this with you. Listen, the best return on your investment, the best ORI is not with your money. The best ROI is investing in people. That's the best return on your investment. And so Solomon knows all of these things as he's talked about friends and this, that, and the other. But the more we have, the more we leave behind. Money is a way to measure where I find my pleasure. Show me your money, and I'll show you how much you either, quote, say you love God or what your real God is. That's what we need to know about money. But now the text changes, and Solomon mentions God. Do you see that in the last part of the verses and then also in chapter 6? Anytime that Solomon starts to talk about God, our ears need to perk up, right? Right? And so now here's what we need to know about God. He's walked us through. He sat us down like a big brother and said, hey, you need to know this about money. But here's also what you need to know about God. And the first thing is this, that God owns everything. God owns everything. That's found in chapter 6, verse 10. Whatever has come to be, here it is, has already been named. Now I need to do a little work. Solomon's saying everything that's ever been has already been named. Now, go back to Genesis. What did God give Adam the authority to do with all of the creatures? To name them, right? Beast, right? Elephant, giraffe. He didn't come up with those names. Okay, right? And do all of this. And then he made Eve. And he was like, whoa. (laughs) That's not like a giraffe. That's incredible, right? And so God gave uh, Adam the authority to name Naming something means authority in ancient wisdom. And so when your child was born or the name that you have in the parents gave, that's a sign of authority. And what Solomon is saying is, whoa, 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 whoa. You think that you have the authority to do all of this? No, no, no. God has the ultimate authority because he owns everything. The psalmist says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Acts 17.24 says God made the world and everything in it. And listen, look up here. Don't miss this. I believe that this could change your life if you understand this financial principle. And it's the difference between ownership and stewardship. For example, let's say that you are renting your house. And you would really love to blow out the kitchen wall and you would love to put hardwood floor in and add the extension on and do this, that, and the other. And you just start to do it and then your landlord shows up. How's that going to go for you? Not well. Why? How come you can't do that? You don't own that house, right? Now, let's go to stewardship. Let's say you're a homeowner. Well, the bank owns it, let's be honest. Okay, right? Okay, but for some of us, okay? Let's say you're a homeowner and you do those things. You're able to do that because you own your home. Listen, your money is not your money if you were a follower of Christ. If Jesus Christ is Lord of the cosmos... Of literally the entire universe, but you think that that's your money? You do not want a king, Jesus. You want a consultant. And the last time I checked, a king is not a consultant. As as Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the universe that Jesus Christ cannot declare that is mine. That's mine. And listen, everything changes when you view it that way. That now I'm no longer an owner of this, but God has given me these resources to steward it. And then almost like the pressure, like you get to take a deep breath. Yeah, this doesn't depend on me. And it seems so counterintuitive. But Solomon says, yes, that's true about money, but know this about God. God owns everything. But the second principle is this, that God gives good gifts. Look at chapter 5, verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment and all the toil with one toils under the sun in the few days of his life. Here it is, that God has given him, for this is his lot. We see the phrase, God has given him, God has given him. Now, I know some of you are still arguing with the preacher, and that's okay, but I'm going to shoot that argument down. Here's what's interesting. A lot of us are still saying, but I'm working for this. I'm putting the long hours on the road. I'm doing overtime. I'm doing this. I am the one who is working hard for this. Do you know what God tells Moses in the Old Testament? He says, hey, I actually even gave you the ability to work hard and to make money. Isn't that incredible? Like, there's no argument that you can have with God. It's not. God has even given you all of these good and great gifts. And he's even given you the ability to work hard and to acquire this wealth. And listen, something happens in our life. Something happens in our life when we look past the gift to the giver. Which is the last thing that Solomon says. That God has even given you the ability to enjoy those good gifts. Do you know why you can't enjoy money as a good gift that God has given to you? Because you can't look past your money and see God. All you see is your money. And so this is what I believe is one of the greatest arguments for Christianity. Can someone who doesn't know Christ have a good marriage? Yeah. Can someone who who doesn't know Christ um, steward their finances well? Yeah. But I believe that you will never fully taste and understand how sweet and beautiful marriage is unless you understand that it is a creation that God created for us. And that you would never understand the gift of money unless you draw the line and attach it to the giver. See, what we do is we worship the gift rather than the giver. And so money is a way for us to measure where we find pleasure. And listen, here's what it boils down to is this. You can either worship your money or you can worship God with your money. But you can't do both. That's it. You can either worship money or you can use money as a gift that God has given you to worship God. But we can't do both. Now, how about us on this side of the New Testament? I mean, I mean, think about this: that, Jesus, that, that God gave His only Son. And listen, what, what I do not want you to hear today and what West Side will not be built on, West Side will not be built on begrudging checks. All right? Keep your money. We don't want that. Because what God says is, I want a cheerful giver. Because it's not about money. It's about the love that you have for Christ. Giving is the gauge of gratitude. How grateful are you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Then show me your giving. Because giving is the gauge of that. And the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament to churches. And here's what's cool. He's actually asking for an offering... For churches to give so he can plant another church. He never mentions an amount. Never mentions punishment. But here's what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for our sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. See, listen, Christians, when they sit down and budget with Solomon and with Jesus in the New Testament, we budget with a calculator in our hand and a cross in our heart. That's how we budget. And so as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I believe that this message is extremely applicable for us today. And so before we pray and come and partake in the table, as we see how much and how generous God is to us in Christ, the body broken and the blood shed, the question over your life today is this. Where do I find my ultimate pleasure and satisfaction in life? And then there's an answer to that. Follow your money. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Heavenly Father, we come before you today grateful for a God who is generous and good. Oh, my. God, thank you for the wisdom of Solomon that he would sit down with us and he would say, hey, there's something strange about this money and this finances thing. Yes, it can give you a sense of power and a sense of satisfaction, but at the end of the day, it is vanity if you do not attach this to the giver of good gifts. So God, I pray today that we would be convicted where we need to be convicted. That we would mimic the generosity of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he did not say, well, that's enough. Well, that's good enough. But I've got some other stuff that I need to pay. But Jesus, you said, it is finished, paid in full. Nothing left. But you gave freely on on our behalf. And I pray that our heart would be so convicted and comforted and moved today by the generosity of God found in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And as we come and approach the table today, we leave our greed, our lust for money, our desire for riches. We lay that at the table. And through your poverty, Jesus, we are made rich. We pray this all in the Holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in the table as you feel led today?